Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. If you've ever had a conversation with someone or with a group of individuals that went awry or slid off the rail in some manner, and later upon consideration, you really couldn't come to any conclusions as to why that had occurred. If you've ever wanted to learn how to be more effective and intentional in your communication, these are exactly some of the things that we're gonna hear more about on today's episode. We've secured the time for not only one episode, but two episodes with best-selling authors, Will Wise and Chad Littlefield. They are the co-authors of the book, Ask Powerful Questions, Create Conversations That Matter. Very excited to be talking with both of them. Today's episode is part one of two parts. Thanks so much for joining us today, Chad, and thank you, Will. We are so excited to hear what you have to talk about. I know that our audience is going to benefit greatly from your insights. Thank you both. Let's create a conversation that matters. Love being here. Thank you. Awesome. So, I'm going to jump into some of what I uncovered in your book, Ask Powerful Questions. You frame a pyramid of skill sets, and the base of that pyramid is intention. Can you explain the word intention as you mean it there as a foundational skill in that context and how it relates to connecting authentically with people? Sure. So this is Will. And you being a writer, you might appreciate this. When I was writing the book some of the first drafts of the book and I shared it with an editor. She said, you got to put that intention chapter first. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It goes later. And she said, no, 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 it's got to go first. And she helped me pull it down to the bottom of the pyramid. And I'm so grateful for Paula for doing that because what that did for me and the work that we're doing is it creates a space for people to really authentically show up. So the root word of intention means to stretch. And it's useful to think about that in a couple different ways. To stretch to include the needs of the whole, right? To move away from me and to include the we. Who else do I need to include into my intention? And the second is it allows us to stretch the present moment into the future and pull that future into the present moment right now. And what we've noticed in working so many different educational programs and facilities and schools and universities is that there are so many meetings that happen, especially at the upper level in which the intent is not clear. It showed up on our calendars. We show up in the room. There may be an agenda, but an intention is different than that. Mm -hmm. Intention is what is the game that we are playing and what do we hope to accomplish or what are we aiming to accomplish before this meeting is over or this project is over? And so oftentimes when we are not clear about our intent, people are sitting and listening for whether or not I belong, whether or not I can contribute, whether my voice even matters. And so what happens when you speak a clear intent in your classroom, in your meetings, people can decide, yes, that's the game I want to play. And what it does is it creates a compass that allows us all to navigate toward a future that we want to create. Okay, and so that intention and the expressing of the intention is applicable in organizational meetings, classroom settings, boardroom settings, really anywhere. Would you agree with that? 
Yes. If before I die, suddenly everybody before they had a meeting would say, the intent of this meeting is da 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 da, and my intent is da 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 da. I would die a very happy man because <laughs> we would be using our time. Our time is our most precious resource. We often think about money, but time is really our most precious resource. And what happens when we get clear about our intent is people are willing to show up and contribute. Otherwise, they're playing the game of, "Ooh, am I going to get manipulated?" Mm. Right? Because manipulation shows up. When we're trying to get somebody to do something without telling them, that's what we're trying to do. So、and、what happens when you're clear about your intent is suddenly people are like, "Oh!" and manipulation has to pack its bags and leave, and then people jump on board, and off you go. Yeah, because you're being transparent, and so the expectation is made clear. Yeah, I would add one important nuance for me that differentiates、um, intention from solely like you know、uh, words like purpose or goal or objective,、mm-hmm. because、uh, the intention, like Will said,、um, ideally includes the needs of the whole. Oftentimes, we show up to a meeting and the、uh, leader and whoever's running that meeting, including a parent having a conversation with a kid, right? They've got、uh, an agenda or a plan of like I want this to happen,、um, but that other person or the other people in the meeting. May not care so much about what you want, right? And so, an intention、um, stretches in to incorporate the needs of the whole, right? So, if、um, if your intention in asking your son how his school was to get to know him better and to learn more about him and and to connect, but consistently he's answering with like fine. School is fine, <laughs>、yeah. um, right? The intention I don't know has been、uh, made. Made clear, actually,、um, that the or or that it's actually been felt because the intention may not be incorporating his needs. What does what does he actually want and care about in that moment? And if you're able to craft an intention statement that the other people can see themselves in, like the amount of buy-in、uh, goes up and the amount of resistance goes way down in the meeting.、Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big shift. And, you know,、yeah. leaders kind of pushing through a meeting or pushing through an agenda. Feels very different than if you have a bunch of contributors in the room rather than consumers and critics. Yeah, especially the way you described it as the intention stretching across the whole. You know, I'm thinking about meetings that I've been in for years, where you know the objective is made clear at the beginning, but it's the objective of perhaps that one person who set the agenda. But you're right; it doesn't stretch across all participants. So that's, I think, a pretty big distinction. You know. It's so often that we lose who we're actually doing our work for, and so it's common. We sit in on a lot of meetings with upper leaders, and the word "student" never shows up in the room.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a powerful, intense statement might have the following three words on the end: "in order to," or "so that,"、mm-hmm. and then it includes those needs of the student. So now the students. Thoughts and ideas and ideals and positive, uplifting emotions can also show up. Right. So, Will, let me let me extend that uh, one uh, step further too into an example. Imagine, you know, I, I think lots of the world has some sort of recurring meeting. So on Monday we meet, we report out, we kind of check in on what's going on. It's a standing meeting. Think about the difference between that, where you just do as you do, right, and everybody goes around and reports out, versus the meeting that starts with. Hey, we're going to report out, and the intention of this is to all share information so that your jobs are a little bit easier when you walk out of this room. 
so that you learn information that helps your jobs and your life be a little bit better when you leave this room, right? That's a, a bit of a stock intention, but that's, a very, that's very different than um, how fast can we get around the room so that we can get out of here. <laughs> right? yeah. Framing that the benefit for all. Yeah, that makes sense. And to take your idea one step further, Chad, if you wanted collaboration to show up, you could say in order to, so we're going to do this report out and then add at the end of it, in order to, we can all listen for ways that we could be helpful to each other so that the students can have the greatest success, right? People are there because they want to have student success. They want to be there to be helpful to each other. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes they're not given permission to do that or they feel burdened with the toxic stress that they're swimming in. When you get a really clear intent, some of that stress gets left behind. Yeah, and I'm thinking about applicable to any leadership group or organization or in whatever context, each participant in the meeting or the congregating of whatever style, knowing that there's a piece that pertains to them, I think is going to cause a lot more focus <laughs> and listening, <laughs> you know, instead of just kind of like listening for purpose of, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, I'm receiving some information, but knowing that there is a piece for them to respond to or to actually uh, carry out. So I, I think that causes that way of thinking differently. Going back to the pyramid, which you frame very comprehensively, way up at the top of the pyramid is empathy. Uh, when you talk about empathy, you also reference apathy and sympathy. What I'd love to understand from you is if you could provide an example, sort of an antidote of maybe a workplace scenario that explains each of those approaches. So in other words, if a colleague is responding to another coworker or approaching another coworker, is there a way you could kind of show us what those three ideas look and sound like? the uh, empathy, which is part of the pyramid, but then the apathy and sympathy that you also reference. Is there a way to kind of show us that? I can start with a, a personal story about my wife, Kate, actually, who's a school nurse. Mm. And so she's the people that when your kid has a bellyache, uh, right, they end up down uh, with Kate or a bee sting or a fill in the blank. Um, where we used to live in North Carolina, now live in uh, Pittsburgh, but where we used to live in North Carolina, um, the school nurse was more of a uh, trainer of teachers because teachers ended up uh, as the ones who were giving diabetic care management and all sorts of things okay. that teachers weren't trained to do. Um, yeah. However, uh, the Kate has a deep level of compassion and care as a lot of nurses do. Mm -hmm. um, and so there would be in, in the first few years of her career, Kate would come home exhausted. She would come home just tapped like, cause I, and I, I would say in, in the, the way that we use, use the language in the book is that uh, she was sympathizing so much. She was stepping fully into what everybody else was going on. And as any educator or parent knows, there's some intense stuff that you talk about at school. Like kid, not all kids have rosy homes and backgrounds. And so the idea, you know, for Kate of seeing uh, signs of abuse and then sending that kid home because there wasn't a great quick alternative, like she would come home and, and that would be on her shoulders. And mm -hmm. that is sympathy, right? It's having both feet fully in, you're swimming in the pond, um, so to speak, with that 
that person. And it's a lot harder to uh, be of service, especially sustainable service when you're in that place as opposed to, um, and, and at some point, I don't know when it was, I don't know which student, which parent, which interaction shifted this. But at some point, Kate was able to make this uh, shift from sympathy to empathy, where she was able to put one of her feet in her students and her parents and her families and her educators' shoes and keep one of her feet grounded in her own reality. Okay. And now she's able to be of immense service. Um, she also came home with a whole different energy um, when that happened. And I think that uh, that shift. Now, Kate is not an apathetic uh, person almost ever. And so uh, maybe, I'll, Will, if you have some, <laughs> some ways to uh, bring out apathy, but there's the nuance between sympathy and, and empathy, which I think it is a nuance that um, we've added in in the book, that's not like if you look up, if you consult Merriam Webster, mm -hmm. it's not going to say all that, right? But I think the distinction has the potential to either, uh, either continue on a path of burnt out or energize um, and still, uh, and still of uh, service. And that's a, that's a pretty big difference. And so mm -hmm. something worth pondering for yourself. Okay. So to continue with the nurse analogy, I used to be a principal of a non-traditional school and I would hire lots of different nurses. And the nurses that were empathetic would say things like, suck it up, kid, right? They would not even meet the kid where the pain was. Whereas to take- uh, The kids were apathetic. The, kid, the, the parents were apathetic? The nurse was apathetic, mm -hmm. right? And so the kid shows up with an injury and the nurse just says, suck it up, kid. I don't have time for you and just turn him away. Or give him a Band-Aid and say, suck it up, kid, right? So they did their duty but not in such a way that the kid was seen, right? So when we're being apathetic, what we're doing is just looking for the facts. Oh, kid fell down, he tore his knee, he needs a Band-Aid. If we are being sympathetic, we in that moment have fallen so far into the emotional turmoil, the emotional pond, I'm gonna call it, that we're experiencing the same motions that they are and we are lost mm -hmm. with whatever the reality is on a bigger scale. We are swimming in their drama, their emotional place. Mm -hmm. When we're being empathetic, we can see what it's like for them. We can see them, we can be present with them and we are reminded of the time in which we experience such pain. But we also know that we got one foot rooted in a place where we can be helpful, where we can uh, offer a listening ear without drowning in the emotional drama that they are now in. So if you use a pond analogy, if we're all in upstate New York and Annette, you cross the frozen pond and you fall in and I just stand there and say, oh, she fell in and I do nothing. I'm just nothing. naming the facts, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes we think of police officers, right? They might say, just tell me the facts. Mm -hmm. Or a lawyer who might say, just answer the question, stay, right? Very fact focused mm -hmm. with those details. Whereas if you fall in the lake, fall through the ice, and now I come to help you and I fall in, I'm experiencing the same coldness that you are experiencing. And I am short of breath, just like you are short of breath. I feel the cold, just like you feel the cold. But I can't help you out. I can't help you get out of the house because I'm drowning just like you are. Right. 
But if I come to the edge of the ice, throw you a rope and help you and encourage you to climb yourself out, then I'm rooted in what I know to be true. And I see that your coldness is disturbing, but not so much that I am disturbed to the point of losing my ability to be able to be a resource for you. Mm. And that's really applicable across any scenario in work or life. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, we parent better when we can be empathetic. We mm -hmm. don't parent. I don't. I don't parent really well when I get apathetic. <laughs> and I don't parent very well when I get sympathetic and I just mm -hmm. get drowned in it. So yes. And as a CEO, as a principal, as a superintendent, as a teacher, when I did my best teaching, when I was on the front lines and teaching uh, grade school every day, there was a way that um, my co-teachers who were really rocking it were the ones that were like, oh, Joey, that must really hurt. What are you going to do to get yourself out of that? Right. And they would immediately start asking questions met them where they were and then immediately started asking them questions so that they could pull themselves out of that emotional drama that mm -hmm. used to feed them, right? There are some students who actually create that emotional drama because that's the way that they get emotionally fed, right? They get energetically fed. But really good teachers, parents and leaders have the ability to ask questions that help people pull themselves out of that tightness. Yeah, okay. Well, one more quick thing to yeah. call out there is that I think in working with um, schools and educators, um, you, you know, your school leaders or even anybody in the school could point out um, and, and potentially even name, you not want to, but potentially even name the people who are sort of resigned and apathetic at this point. I can't 100% guarantee, but I bet that none of those people who are apathetic now started out that way in their first few weeks of teaching. I bet that when they decided to become a teacher, when they decided to become a principal, when they decided to become an, a superintendent, they were not in the place of disconnected apathy and that resignation of like, uh, like why am I even gonna lend my voice or fill out this survey? It's not gonna make a difference, right? That place of um, disconnection and apathy. And I think one of the paths that we get to that apathy from is from overdosing on sympathy right? From being so invested. Um, and then we, we're so invested because we want to create this change and the change doesn't happen in the exact way that we expect it to or want it to. And so eventually, week after week, year after year, uh, we get burnt out and we give up and we enter this place of apathy and we stay there. And all the students that enter our sphere now didn't get the, uh, the uh, attempt at us. And I think the pathway out of that is, uh, like we've been saying, empathy, the ability to keep one foot uh, in their reality and one foot uh, in your own. There are other sources and paths to apathy and ap uh, that resignation, but I would say in, in the context of the language we're speaking now, that's, that's one of them. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is that there is a way out of it. You know, once you reach that apathy point, there's a way out of it. You can step back out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Context. Yeah, so I just want to add to that. Oftentimes, if people are being apathetic in the workplace, they're often in a place of resignation. And so as Chad was alluding to, at one point, they might have been sympathetic, but then wasn't seen and heard and understood. They didn't have a voice. They didn't feel like their choices mattered. Mm-hmm. 
And so one way to get out of that, especially as a leader, if you see apathetic people, is to really have a clear conversation with them about who they are and how they want to contribute and for them to actually be seen. And that's where the blessing of empathy comes in, because empathy allows people to be seen and heard and understood exactly for the who they are and for who they are not. And when that happens, people are more likely to contribute, more likely to give their voice, more likely to choose to contribute rather than to be a consumer or a critic or, mm. dare say, a curmudgeon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, got it. I, I wonder, I, you know, I think part of the reason that Will and I um, wanted to join you to record this uh, podcast is imagine schools that were sprinkled with the dose of empathy where superintendents deeply understood uh, teachers and teachers deeply understood superintendents. And they were able to say, rather than being frustrated at each other, they were able to stick uh, one foot in and say like, wow, your job must be really, really hard. I'm still really frustrated that this thing isn't getting done and that we still have to deliver this curriculum. And what is this blended hybrid, whatever's going on, especially currently in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but to be able to sprinkle that uh, dose to recognize that um, I have never met an educator that hasn't said some to some degree, I have too much to do in too little time. And I think sometimes we forget that and we get frustrated at somebody for not doing something. And that person also feels like they have too much to do in too little time. And they know they're dropping the ball for some people. And, and um, when we're apathetic, it's really uh, easy to turn that person into an object. Whereas when we're empathetic, um, we can work with them and we can, uh, there can be some collaboration in getting that done rather than a, a finger pointing out or of uh, blame. Yeah. So decision-making is part of all organizations, big or small, all boards, all school boards, school administration, corporations, decision-making occurs all the time. And typically decision-making, if it's being done across any number of people, uh, includes some dialogue, uh, especially if you might be referencing a leadership team or a school board or a corporate board. So what I want to ask you to define or, or share the difference between is debate and discussion. So if part of decision making um, includes discussion, is there a difference between debating and discussion? And, and if so, what's the difference? I so appreciate that. Um, let's get clear about debate. Who's going to win? <laughs> Right? And oftentimes debate shows up when we are in a place in which you're going to lose and I'm going to win. And that is the mindset that shows up usually when something is threatened, right? My identity or my needs are getting threatened. And so debate often has this two-sided argument where people are trying to prove and they're only listening to win and they're trying to challenge each other. This discussion or the word I like to use is dialogue. I want to thank both of you for uh, being with us. I know that we could go on and on, but I greatly appreciate all of this time and insight that you've given us uh, today. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Will. I just love how you are showing up and the research that you did and the questions that you had really thought about and your desire to make a world a better place. So thank you, Annette. Thank you. Wow, I appreciate that. I, it was, it's enjoyable. These kinds of interviews are so interesting for me personally. So thank you 
Thank you again. And on the website, we'll feature where folks can find your website. We'll include that and the book and all of that good stuff, because we definitely want to make all of these resources available uh, to our audience. So thanks for sharing all that. Keystone Education Radio is a production of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. This episode is brought to you in part by ESS and Spiesel Architectural Group, Inc. Visit our website at keyedradio.org for more information on today's discussion and past episodes. Subscribe, share, and follow us on social media so you can stay tuned to the new education topics and interviews. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.